As we look at the life of Moses, and we in la- last week saw the contrast between Aaron's fleshly leadership and Moses' spiritual leadership, clearly the difference is the relationship that Moses had with his God. And he had a great desire to know the Lord, to have fellowship with the Lord. And I think a good perspective on how many Christians are, it would be in a hypothetical courtship of a man and a woman. Here's a man, he pursues the relationship with this lady, learns many facts about her. He becomes an expert that way, and he praises her, that works well. He's willing to please her, that works even better. Uh, Tries to meet the needs of those she loves, that touches her. Enjoys basic conversation with her, that's good. Appreciates the benefits and security of the relationship, but shows no real desire to really know who she is. Has no real desire to have a deep personal relationship with her. There's something wrong with that picture? Absolutely. Uh, That is uh, what happens to many believers when it comes to the Lord. And I would, you know... Aaron, we can only go with what we have in Scripture, but I don't think Aaron truly had that passionate desire to know God. But Moses did. And so Moses had a deep desire to know and to see the glory of the Lord and to truly have the presence of God uh, in his life. And God wants that for all of us. What a difference it makes when People go from wanting to know about the Lord, knowing uh, about, you know, praising God and wanting to uh, please the Lord overall, but they don't take the time, the effort, nor do they have that deep purpose to know the heart of God and to uh, truly know the glory of God and to revel in that glory. And I'm telling you, heaven has come down and glory's filled many a Christian soul over the years in the New Testament age. And uh, we love to read of the great revivals that occur. I think of the revival back in 1904 in, in Wales, the Welsh revival. Uh, R.B. Jones held a meeting in Rose there in uh, Wales, Wales, excuse me. And the Spirit, prior to that, he had been seeking the Lord, and the Spirit of God became very precious to him. He began to experience God's reality in his life. He went from just being a preacher to a man that knew God. And Stuart uh, speaks about this in his biography, that uh, a, that the... Uh, It was so real to him that God began to work in a mighty way in the churches there. And a correspondent from the Liverpool Post asked R.B. Jones if I had been, uh, and he stated to the correspondent, excuse me, if I had been asked a month ago whether a revival was possible in Wales, I should have answered no. Nothing would be done to disturb the prevailing apathy. But God began to work through a person who knew God. And as a result, God began to break the floodgates uh, open, and God began to do that work, which actually went on to touch 60 countries around the world.
Well, Moses' life touched the nation of Israel, actually literally saved the nation of Israel, and still touches us today. Aaron's life does not, but Moses' life does. Exodus 32, please, here this evening. I want to quickly review what we talked about last week. Moses was up in the mount receiving the law from the Lord. And during that time, while Moses was up there, the people uh, who still had a lot of paganism in them uh, gathered together and challenged Aaron and uh, said, let's uh, uh, make us gods. Uh, we don't know what happened. You know, make us our own Elohim, our own gods. We don't know what happened to Moses. And Aaron said, break off your golden earrings, and, uh, and out of that he made a golden calf, and uh, the calf was a major god in Egypt, but he called that calf Jehovah. And in Jehovah's name, we read in verse 6, they rose up early in the morning, morrow, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And God reacts to that. This was a horrible, frankly, a pagan worship time. And, uh, and so uh, the Lord tells Moses that he was going to destroy the people and that he would make a people of Moses. And, uh, of course, that would have gone against the uh, covenant that he had made with Jacob in particular with his own sons. And Moses pleads with him and intercedes. He says, your testimony, your glory is going to be undercut by this. Remember verse 13, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented. In other words, he agreed with Moses. That didn't change his character at all, but Moses is now interceding. And so, because of Moses, God did not destroy the people. And then I went down and talked about the tremendous intercession that he made after he dealt with the people, of pleading with God, even being willing to give his own eternal future to the Lord in exchange for the deliverance of the people. But I want to look now at some key things that made Moses what he was and is very key for us to understand if we're going to have that kind of a life that has a, a lasting legacy. We need to be like him to want to know the glory of God. Now, this look at Moses starts on the negative side. If you look with me at... Uh, Verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mount and the two tables of the testimony, which God by his own hand had written, uh, were in his hand. The tables were written on both sides of their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither it is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Here you have 
this worshiping the golden calf as Jehovah God in the way that pagan people worship. Uh, it was a, an immoral, ungodly, and even the music and the singing and all clearly were what they had learned in Egypt. Isn't it interesting? You go back all the way to uh, the Tower of Babel on and look at the religions of Babylon, Egypt, others, and you will see all around the world pagan worship that is sensual, uh, very emotional, uh, very unclean, and it is clearly demonic, inspired by Satan to get people to think, I can worship God, but I can fulfill my fleshly desires and I am still worshiping God in the process. It is incredible when you look at the Greek and Roman temples, the awful debauchery that went on in those temples in the name of the worship of the Lord. Well, to some extent, that's exactly what Aaron allowed them to do when he um, caused this festival to take place here. And this was something that clearly, it was so major Back in the earlier verses that I referred to, God said, I'm going to wipe the whole people out. And he meant it. If it wasn't for the intercession of Moses, I don't know what would have happened. Because it was a grave, grave offense against God to break the second commandment like they had done. And to break the other commandments. It was right in the face of a God who had said, draw near to me. Come here to Mount Sinai and that great display of his power and his glory. And he even has, as I mentioned last week, the 70 elders even actually have fellowship and eat a meal with God where he's showing forth his glory. That's just an amazing thing. And yet in a matter of weeks, they are worshiping in a debauched state uh, a golden calf and calling it Jehovah God. And Moses and, and, of course, the Lord were deeply grieved, so was Joshua. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. Now, let me stop there. You see no condemnation of Moses for doing that. This was true righteous indignation. They had broken those commandments right down the line from one to ten. And he broke that, which was a great symbol of what they had done. And God honors Moses by when he goes back up in the mount, he rewrites those tablets. Isn't God gracious to redo that? I mean, that's really humility on the part of God. It's love, it's mercy, it's long-suffering, it's an amazing reality. So Moses broke them. By the way, Moses was a pretty strong dude, excuse my language there. Uh, he don't break those kind of stones being just a little wimp. I'm, I am sure being brought up in Pharaoh's house and then being in the wilderness, uh, he was trained, he was a top military man, he was one strong guy. Verse 20, and he took the calf, and this also shows something here. He took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. Whoa, 
Now try to think of this. Here they are having this big, awful orgy. Here comes Moses off of the mount. He stands there and sees it in there publicly and breaks those tablets of stone and takes that golden calf, grinds it up, I don't know how it all happened, and puts it in the water and they all drink it. <laughs> Reminds you of the Lord Jesus in the temple courtyard a little bit, doesn't it? You see, this was not human anger, folks. This was a heart that was broken for his people, and he hated sin. Did you know it's all right to hate sin? It's about time God's people get back to hating sin more than we do. You can't hate sin and be entertained by it at the same time. You can't be around it all the time and hate it. And uh, so we have to be very careful about that. But number one here, let me just go quickly. He was loyal to God's cause. And so he took care of the idolatry. And folks, we need to do the same if we're going to meet with the Lord. Idolatry is putting our trust in anything that is not the Lord. Remember the second commandment? We are not to make any graven image. The Bible made that very clear. God did to, uh, to Moses. And we talked about when we uh, went over the second commandment, how that so often in the name of worshiping the Lord, we will uh, not worship him according to the word of God and lower him or change him just like idolatry does to allow ourselves to be what we want to be and still feel like we're worshiping the Lord. And that is one of the big problems that you'll find in Christianity. 1 John 5.21 warns those Christians, little children, keep yourself from idols. And I don't think he was just talking about actual idols. And we know that from Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, in the last part of it, it says, covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, you have a graven image called health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that um, if you believe God, God will make you wealthy. He will keep you well, and you'll have great prosperity. And if you don't, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith, and you haven't given enough to the leader. <laughs> That's usually the bigger issue. And, uh, and that's what happens. Folks, that is idolatry. That's not what the Bible says. Now, does God bless us? Certainly. Does God take care of us? Certainly. Does He give us daily bread? Absolutely. Does He oftentimes heal us? Yes. But there are many trials and situations that God brings, and there is no promise for health, wealth, and prosperity. But we have better than that. We have the inheritance of Christ and the spiritual riches, which are far greater than anything material. That's just one, one example there. And so idolatry is redefining the God of the Bible to fit in with what we think. Um, pleased with just token Christianity. Folks, God is not pleased with token Christianity. Or grace, redefining grace. Grace is, uh, we're living the age of grace, so how you live doesn't matter because you're saved by grace, and, uh, and we're not under the law, so you can choose your own lifestyle. You're free to be what you want to be. Folks, there's far more commandments in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Oftentimes people forget that, and there are wonderful guidelines. There are principles, 
they're wonderful, uh, just uh, uh, they're a wonderful help to us to have victory in our lives. Idolatry allows for increased fleshly living, already alluded to that. And uh, the verse, uh, the verb here uh, means to cast off all restraints um, uh, going on here in, uh, well, back when you look at what uh, Aaron did, uh, he had made them naked before the people. They had no restraints on how they were acting and how they were living uh, when they did this. And um, in verse 25, you read, and when Moses saw that the people were naked or uh, were casting off all restraints, Aaron had made them that way to the shame among their enemies. And so uh, I tell you, Bible Christianity, when you, when you dumb down holiness, when you dumb down what it means to really um, live for God and what God really thinks about sensuality and what God thinks about immorality, um, you can begin to uh, rationalize immorality, uh, different forms of sensuality. In fact, it oftentimes, immodesty and all, gets involved in worship within the church. I'm telling you, you cannot take the music of the world and the dress of the world that's often displayed and call it the worship of the Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, I hardly like to hear the high praises of God sung to the tune of a comic song or of a dance. There is a certain congruity about things that must be observed, and some good music may have associated with it such queer ideas that we had better let it alone till those associations have died out, lest while we are uttering holy words, some people may be reminded by the tune of unholy things. Whoa, what a statement from... 150 years ago. That isn't up to date. And folks, that's idolatry. That's worshiping many times. Now, there's a lot of sincere people, a lot of good people involved in all that. Uh, and I'm sure there were sincere people that weren't part of all this, but they were condoning it and just allowing it to go on there at that time. But uh, idolatry allows for increased fleshly living. So, idolatry must be removed. We, we have uh, Moses retelling this story in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I, Moses is saying, prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Aaron was alive because of Moses' intercession. Boy, it shows you the power of intercession, doesn't it? The whole nation and Aaron himself in particular. God was not happy. By the way, weak Fleshly leadership for Christians, dads, leaders within a church, whatever situation, God is not happy when we capitulate uh, to that which is not biblical. And I took your, your, uh, took your sin, the calf which he had, had made and burnt it with fire and stamped it and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. You have an idea that uh, Moses wanted to get rid of every vestige of that idolatry? I mean, it was very clear to everyone that God was not putting up with this. And, uh, and so Moses took some very strong actions. In fact, 
It really causes you to shudder. If you will look with me, I've skipped over verses, but for time, let's move on to verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. By the way, the Levites had not yet been made into the priesthood and into uh, the Levitical orders at this point. But uh, evidently, Moses' impact upon the Levites, I don't know what all, but he was standing there at the entrance of the whole camp, and he said, come come to me, and they came. And this, uh, you, you wince when you read this. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and their fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Now, you had the people drinking the gold that was ground up in the water, humiliating all over the camp. And then you've got, he's saying, if your brother was part of that idolatry, if your companion was part of that idolatry, speaking here particularly of the men, slay them. 3,000 men died. And uh, I don't know what all did happen, but the point is, remove the idolatry. Folks, how much is God willing to put up with idolatry in our hearts? Zero. He will not give anything else His glory. He knows it will destroy your life. He understands what it, what it does to other people. And we're not a nation. This is applied to us as individual people. Colossians 3, 5, mortify, kill therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. By the power of God, don't allow any life to be, so to speak, any animation of those sins in your life. Sin does not have to have dominion over us. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We were identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the power within us for victory, and we are not to allow idolatry to be in our lives. And so, folks... We've got to really ask ourselves, how pleased is God by our behavior in that, therefore, showing what attitude we have toward Him? Have we lowered who He is? Is some of our lifestyle really that which we depend upon instead of truly walking with Him and and really fellowshipping with Him? You see, the reason Moses is so blessed, and we're blessed by him even today, and God gave him all of this scripture, is Moses had zero percent toleration in his own heart for anything that would cause him not to worship Jehovah God completely. He loved his God. And that's exactly, folks, the key for us to know the presence of God ourselves and to have a a lasting legacy. I've quoted this many times. This is uh, so important, though. George Mueller, why do we still talk about him today? The German who went to England and had orphanages. Why are we talking about him? 
because he had power with God. He knew the presence of God. And we talk about his long periods of time in prayer. We talk about his long times in the Word of God. But I'll tell you where it started. He said, there came a day when George Mueller died, utterly died. No longer did his own desires and preferences and tastes come first. He knew that from then on, Christ must be all in all. And that's what he answered when he was asked, how could you have such victory in your life? And that was his answer. You see, Moses, to be able to know the presence of God and to see the glory of God, had to first and foremost take his stand against idolatry, and we must do that in our own hearts. Years ago, uh, a uh, church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, stood around a muddy pit and uh, read from 35th chapter of Genesis about putting away the strange gods. And uh, that church was having a mighty move of God. And so they literally took it to heart. And so they began to toss various objects in the pit. Some of the strange gods was a big alarm clock that went jangling in the hole. It was a sight that they were done with clock watching during future services. I like that. I think that's really, that's really of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But anyway, <laughs> um, in went an old TV set. Well, that's back a ways. A rock and roll record. How many know what records are? Anybody? Okay, there's a few of you. All right. Um, and it goes on, talk about women's clothing and uh, all the different things, cigarette packs and so forth. And uh, they were simply, when asked by a news reporter, what are you doing? They said, we're getting rid of our idols. <laughs> uh, it's a rather interesting way to do it. But the point is, there's got to be a definitive action. I'm not going to trust that anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to have the right view of God. Now, does it bother you a little bit? That Moses had them take their swords and do that? That was, pretty, that was pretty radical, wasn't it? It was because God told him to do it. God doesn't put up with idolatry. Now, we're not a theocracy. We are in the New Testament age. But we need to take very seriously the clear examples of what God shows us. But this is not negative. That, in other words, you can't know the presence of God if you, if you worship things on this earth. If, things are that you're de if you depend on things other than the Lord for your meaning, uh, uh, your deliverance, for your different um, aspects of life, your enjoyment, and uh, they are not what God wants you to have, well, then you're not going to know His presence. Your, your devotions are not going to be real, and you're not going to see the glory of God. So there has to be that kind of move first, which, again, saved the nation of Israel. And uh, then, then we see, let me just move on a couple of points, because I'm going to pick up on this again next week, because we're going to look at the glory of God next week. But uh, he was desperate for God's presence. He dealt with uh, idolatry. And, uh, and what really prompted this? Well, we read after he made that tremendous intercession, starting in verse 30. Let me just read it. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. 
peradventure I will make an atonement for your sin. So he tells the people, this is horrible. He, they, I don't know if he told them that God about destroyed you. I'm going to go up and intercede. And when he did, and when he returned up into the mount unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have uh, sinned a great uh, sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Again, there's no way to put into words a man willing to give his eternal destiny for the deliverance of his people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now, therefore, now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken to you. I'm going to keep my promise to you. His intercession saved the destruction of Israel. His intercession saved the life of Aaron. His, and his intercession caused the people of Israel to regain the, the privilege to go into the land of Canaan. However, one thing's missing here. Behold, mine angel shall go up before thee. Nevertheless, in the, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they had made the calf. And there was some real suffering there, which Aaron had made. Now, he was glad for the deliverance. But Moses wanted more than a promise of protection. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought us up out of the land of Egypt, brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. And uh, you go down uh, to uh, what Moses says in verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. And, and, he's, and he says um, that uh, he his, does not want to go without the presence of the Lord. And so he very much uh, was, was exercised. Uh, he, did, he said, if you don't go with us, uh, verse 15, and he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Well, he knew that uh, going without the presence of the Lord for him would be untenable. He couldn't live without that. And he knew that, that uh, they needed his presence to be able to, to continue to be transformed. And, and so Moses was not satisfied with just getting what he wanted. Folks, are we just satisfied with things going well for us in our Christian life? Are the basics fine? Are we willing? Like Andrew Murray said, little of the word with little prayer is death to the spiritual life. Much of the word with little prayer gives a sickly life. Much prayer with little of the word gives emotional life. But a full measure of both the word and prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. Are we willing for a sickly life? Um, empty life? 
or do we really want to know the power of God? Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so Moses said, it's not enough just to get things to work out. You know, so often we're just happy with Christianity working out. You know, God's principles do work. You do what's right. You don't let sin take hold of your life. Um, It goes pretty well. Without the presence of God, there's no growth. There's no reality. There's no power over sin. There's no purpose. When was the last time we really met with the Lord? When was the last time he really touched our heart? When was the last time you clearly knew the truth had gripped you and you had grown and made key faith decisions? Well, the reason Moses was different than Aaron, he didn't want just the trappings of God's blessing. He wanted God. Moses caused the people here to mourn because he wanted them to realize that uh, this was terrible, that God wasn't going to go with them. He was going to send his angel, and they were going to get into the land that flowed with milk and honey, but he wasn't going, and this meant that you ought to mourn, and he had them take off their ornaments. I don't know what exactly he had them do with them, but they obviously gave them, evidently, into the treasury of the Lord, and they were willing to humble themselves. They mourned in verse 4, and no man did put on his ornaments. And uh, because of that, God begins to work And eventually, as we're going to see in our next time, God answers the prayer of Moses about being with them. So thirdly, he was earnest for God's answer. And um, verse 7, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Where did he... Where did he put the place that he was going to meet with God there in that camp? Outside. The camp wasn't yet ready. And he was in the habit of meeting with God and the people knew it. But when when they saw him put up this tent, this is not the tabernacle. This is the tent of meeting. And everybody stood and rose up, verse 8, and looked. And and Moses uh, met with the Lord to intercede that the presence of God would be there and so we're going to stop right there I want us there's so much to say here chapter 33 chapter 34 are blessed chapters with idolatry removed and Moses interceding the people are saved and that's a great thing But he so knew what the presence of God would mean for him and the people. He wasn't going to move until God promised his presence. In fact, he said, Lord, I want to see your glory. Nothing matters unless I have you. Isn't it something? He wasn't even satisfied with intercession. He wasn't even satisfied with the miracle of a God's answer in that intercession. He wanted the presence of God. And let me just finish here today 
how important is the presence of God? How many days can you go without, I mean, you may have devotions, but how many days can you go without meeting with him? How many days can you go without the glory of the Lord filling your heart? I'm not talking about a great experience, but I'm talking about the reality of it. How many days can you go without direct leadership, direct uh, um, working in your life in which you know God is definitely leading and guiding you? Folks, what an example. You know, Aaron would look good today except for what he did there. But Moses is still touching us today. He was jealous for his God, and he wanted more than answers. He wanted God.